0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to our text this Lord's Day. Daniel chapter 6, verses 18 through 28. Once again, uh, Daniel chapter 6. Verses 18 through 28. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den... He cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and had shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and brake all their bones in pieces wherever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The most fundamental question that we face when we call out to the Lord in prayer in the time of trouble in the time of sorrow, in the time of affliction, in the time of trials. that most important question is this. Is God able? Is God able to deliver us? You know, that's quite different from asking how will he deliver us? How will he answer my prayer? Or when will he deliver us? When will he answer my prayer? We may not know the how. We may not know the when. Our great and glorious King and God will deliver us. But we cannot even ask, dear ones, The how question or the when question until we answer this question is he able to deliver us by his almighty power? Is he able to heal me? Is he able to heal my loved ones? Is he able to save me? Is he able to save my children? Is he able to heal this or that relationship and restore it? Is he able to provide for all the needs that I have? Is God able to do so? Is that the God that you serve? Do you know how to answer yes? God, without a doubt, is able In the ministry of the Lord Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 30, we're given this account of two blind men uh, who are crying out uh, to the Lord Jesus, uh, Son of David, uh, have mercy upon us. And as they came near unto the Lord, uh, interesting question that the Lord Jesus asked them is this. Believe ye that I am able to do this. Do you believe that I'm able to heal you of your blindness? And they said, "Yea, Lord. Yes, Lord. We believe that you're able to do this. And then the Lord touched them, and they were healed of that blindness. Their eyes were opened. You see, dear ones, Faith lays hold of God's infinite ability to do all his holy will. Whatever God determines in his holy counsel to do, he's able to do it. That's what faith lays hold of. Faith doesn't lay hold of when he's going to do it. Faith doesn't lay hold of how he's going to do it. Faith lays hold of God who is able to do it. And dear ones, if God is not able, then scripture is filled with lies. And our faith in Jesus Christ is in vain if God is not able. Whatever we face, if God is not able, then we're simply living a fantasy life. We are utterly hopeless if God is not able. But if God is able, and he is, he is able according to God's own word, he is able, then we have a firm and we have a certain hope that he will keep all of his promises that he has made unto us in his faithfulness and, and he will bring it to pass in his time by his almighty and sovereign power. It was in God's infinite power, God's infinite ability. It was in that which Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted. That's, what, that's the God in whom they placed their faith. Not in how he would do so, not when he would do so, <laughs> but that he was able to do so. In Daniel 3.17, just taking you back. To that verse, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, if he doesn't save us from the fiery furnace, Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You see, their their faith was not uh, in when or how, but their faith was in God who is able. As King Darius, in the chapter before us, Daniel chapter 6, approached the lion's den, into which Daniel had been cast. Likewise, in verse 20, this was the question that Darius asked as well. Verse 20. O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Is God able to do so? And so, what is said before us today is a very important question for us all to consider. Who is the God in whom you believe today? Is he the God of the Bible who is able to deliver you whatever you're facing? Is he able to do so? Is that the God you serve, who has infinite power? Or rather, is he he a God of your own imagination? Is he a God of your own uh, thinking, mere thinking, limited, a limited God by man's own will? Only the Almighty God, who is able can save you and can save me. Only Almighty God who is revealed in Scripture can deliver you, can deliver me, is that in whom your faith is today. If it is, may you grow in trusting in Him more and more, the older that you grow in this world and earthly age and numbers May you grow in ever greater faith and trusting in him. And if that's not the God in whom you trust today, may God give you that faith, grant you that faith even today to trust in the God who has revealed himself in creation, that God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, that God has revealed himself in his holy word that he is able Our main points this Lord's Day from our text are these. First of all, the anxiety of a guilt-ridden conscience in Daniel chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. The second main point, the deliverance of the righteous out of trouble in Daniel 6, verses 21 through 23. And thirdly, the consequences that follow God's deliverance of the righteous in Daniel chapter 6, verses 24 through 28. <clears throat> so, our first main point the anxiety of a guilt ridden conscience. Look with me again in verses 18 through 20. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? As the conspiracy against Daniel unfolded, the decree that all in Babylon were to pray to, the, pray to only King Darius was set in motion. Daniel willingly as we noted in a previous sermon, walked into their trap and prayed unto Jehovah as he had always done, kneeling before the window, praying toward Jerusalem. And we asked, why did he do so? Uh, And I believe the answer is that he did so in order that he would neither become a stumbling block to unbelievers by way of coming to the Lord, believing and trusting in God because of his fears of man, but also that he would not become a stumbling block to believers in the Lord God in hindering their faith and growth in the living God as well. When Darius realized uh, the conspiracy against Daniel, uh, we read in verse 14, this is review, but we read in verse 14 that he was sore displeased with himself. He regretted, he regretted the irrevocable law of the Medes and Persians that he had signed. His conscience was smitten with guilt and sorrow over his part in yielding to the flattery of these conspirators and spent the rest of the day, as we see in verse 14, spent the rest of the day uh, seeking to save Daniel, trying to find every possible legal expert in Babylon, no doubt, to see what could be done in this situation at least until the sun set, at which time Daniel was then cast into the lion's den. After having been cast into the lion's den, a large stone was rolled into place over the mouth of the den. We see in verse 17, from all that could be seen uh, from an earthly perspective, this appeared to be a utterly hopeless situation. Uh, Daniel is doomed in this particular situation to die uh, at the hands of these uh, man-eating lions, just as many Christians uh, suffered uh, in the Colosseum, in the time of Rome, Roman persecution, uh, in the early centuries of uh, the Christian era. Uh, at the hands of hungry lions, so it appeared that this was to be the doom uh, of Daniel as well. But as we noted, that's always going to be the perspective that we have. If we're walking by mere sight and by mere feelings, we're going to say this is a hopeless situation as no doubt it might have appeared at that time, with Daniel being thrown into this lion's den. This is hopeless. There's no way that Daniel could possibly survive. And I would encourage you, dear ones, take inventory in your own life. Do a little bit of thoughtful introspection, review of your life, and see if that is not always the case, if that's not always the case, when we walk by sight and walk by feelings, we find that we are eventually in a state of hopelessness and despair because all we see is that which is around us and it can look very gloomy at times. We're not walking in hope when we walk by mere fear mere sight and feelings. We're not walking by faith in the promises of God. And let us repent. Let us all repent for having done so. And seek to practice every day to walk, not by what we see, not by what we feel, but to walk by what God has revealed to us, his promises and who he is, that he is the God who is able. After leaving the lion's den, we read in verse 18 that Darius went back to his palace. And uh, it says he ate nothing. Uh, He fasted. Well, this was not necessarily a religious fast. Uh, Probably wasn't. Uh, but simply indicating that he did not eat anything. Uh, he fasted. He did not eat anything because uh, because he was in such turmoil uh, over this matter related to, to Daniel. He did not invite his ordinary entertainment, his musicians, to come in and to entertain him that, that evening. Uh, furthermore, as he lay in his bed, He tossed about back and forth, back and forth all night as his sleep fled from him. We read in verse 18. But I would submit to you, dear ones, that this is the anxiety and the restlessness that proceeds from a conscience that is smitten by God that knows that he had a significant part though unwittingly, nevertheless, a significant part in putting Daniel into the doom of that lion's den. Moreover, you recall that he certainly went to try to use various means, probably legal means, to have Daniel delivered... But uh, he was not willing, the king was not willing to risk any danger to himself and to his position as king in order to rescue Daniel. Uh, All the steps that he took were calculated to retain and not to jeopardize his royal throne. And so here we see the anxiety of a smitten conscience that haunted him, that hounded him throughout the night. Isaiah 48, 22 says, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. No peace. No peace of conscience to the wicked. There wants to know the moral conflict. And battle in our conscience and yet to try to forget that conflict, that conviction in our conscience. To try to bury that conviction within our conscience with pleasure or with activity and busyness or with taking up various addictions and uh, such habits and routines so as not to bring a true and lasting peace, but rather to find mere temporary relief. It's just to, at the next moment of the night when everything is quiet, it's simply to renew that conflict. It's simply to renew the battle within, the conviction within, if we do not take the steps appointed by the Lord to deal with a conscience that's been smitten by him. And I would say to you, dear ones, it's even more dangerous for us to reach a place where our conscience becomes so calloused and insensitive to God's conviction of sin in our lives That we do not even recognize, that we are insensitive, that we uh, uh, just continue on in our sin without realizing what we are doing. And we can reach that place. We can reach that place where sin no longer uh, is hard. Sin is no longer difficult. It becomes easy for us because our conscience is so seared. Our conscience is calloused. And that's an act of God's judgment upon one who continues to violate and to do what one knows is wrong before God. Dear ones, let that not happen. You may think that being convicted of sin is hard, but it is a blessing from God to be convicted of sin, to have a sensitive heart and conscience in order that we might repair to the Lord Himself and to seek His forgiveness, to be reconciled and to be at peace with Him and with one another. That's a blessing when conviction leads to that. But dear ones, when we again resist, and we resist, and we bury, and we bury, so that again our conscience is is insensitive, Romans 1 says that God gives us over to certain sins. He gives us over because we have buried the truth and buried the truth and buried the truth. And he gives us over to all manner of sensual pleasures, all manner of corruption and sin in Romans 1. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, we read, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Notice, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Again, that idea of searing with a hot iron, forming again a scar and a callus there that is insensitive to the pricking of God's spirit and conviction in our hearts. That, dear ones, is a dangerous place for us to be. Let that not happen in your life at all. The only remedy appointed by the Lord to bring about healing and peace to a conscience that is smitten by our violation of God's law is the full and free forgiveness of God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only place where we will find relief for that smitten conscience. Paul says in Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, sprinkled by the cleansing of God through his pardon and his full forgiveness and to stand up and and to go forth in that liberty of forgiveness, knowing I am at peace. I'm no longer at war and in battle with the living God, but I'm at peace with God. God's sure and certain forgiveness, dear ones, for all sin, Whether we consider it to be small or we consider it to be great, it's all sin in God's sight. It violates his law, his commandments. But that sure and certain forgiveness for all sin is received through faith in Jesus Christ alone, trusting in Jesus. And that faith and trust in Jesus Christ, dear ones, is evidenced by our confessing our sin. It's evidenced by our repenting, sorrowing, grieving of our sin, wanting to turn the opposite direction from the sin that we have committed. That faith in Jesus Christ that brings his pardon and his forgiveness is evidenced by our willingness to submit ourselves to his lordship over our lives. And it's evidenced by our desire to practice new obedience, walking in all of his commandments. I dare say to you, dear ones, there is nothing on earth that brings us closer to heaven than when we walk with a clear conscience before God and before our fellow man. The Apostle Paul said in his defense before the Roman governor Felix in Acts 24, 16, I herein, to exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. That's, dear ones, what will in part make heaven heaven. A clean and a pure conscience before God and with one another. And to the degree that we walk with a clear conscience before God and with one another to that degree we have a foretaste of that peace and rest that is promised to us and that we will have in heaven yet to come. But if you go through again those steps you confess you repent you submit you uh, renew your obedience to the Lord. You trust in him and his, and his promise, forgiveness, and yet you don't feel. You still, your conscience feels smitten. What do you do? Well, we're not to walk by feelings. We're not to walk by sight. We are to walk by faith in the promise of God that he has promised that he would forgive When we trust in him, when we rely upon his forgiveness, when we come to him and present it all unto him, he's promised to forgive. And so, again, we have to, again, say, I'm not going to walk by how I feel. I'm going to walk by faith. This is what God has said. He has forgiven me. And I'm going to walk in that forgiveness. That's the liberty that God has given to you in Christ Jesus. Not the bondage of continuing to walk uh, with that smitten conscience, that guilty conscience. Because many times, dear ones, for Christians who have gone to Jesus Christ, who have sought his forgiveness, who have placed it all before him, who are looking only to him, for their salvation, for their sanctification, for their growth in Christ. It is simply Satan whispering in their minds and in their ears, as it were, you're not forgiven, you're not forgiven, you're not forgiven. It's not the living God who is doing so. Walk by faith, not by feelings. Well, after tossing and turning all night, at the breaking of dawn's light, Darius rushes to the lion's den in verse 19. And as he was approaching the lion's den, he cried out loudly, lamenting for Daniel in verse 20. A lamentable voice, he cried unto Daniel and said, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually able, continually able to deliver thee from the lions? And so Darius, as we've already noted, asks that most important question, is thy God able to deliver thee? He does not... In this particular instance, I, I would submit to you that Darius does not ask that question from a heart of saving faith in the one true living God. Uh, it's uh, from, again, a lack of faith that he asks that particular question. He's merely using uh, the name of God that Daniel had used and no doubt taught Darius and speaking to Darius about Jehovah God Uh, that epithet, uh, the living God. That's a description. That's uh, an attribute of God, the living God. And likewise in Jeremiah 10.10, we read, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. So Darius refers here to the living God, not as his God, not as the God of Darius, but as Daniel's God, thy God, is thy God able to deliver thee. The, that epithet, uh, the living God, may have been just uh, a name for God, for Daniel's God, uh, as it related to Darius. It just may have been a name that uh, Darius used, but dear ones, that epithet, that name for God, the living God, is filled with great significance and importance to us who believe that our God is able to do all of his holy will. Understand that those words, the living God, mean That God himself is life. No one gave life to God. No one at some point gave life to God so that God came into being. From all eternity, God has been life. He never had a beginning. And he shall never have an end. He will always be the God of God. Of life. And all life that we see about us comes from God. Whether it be the life of creation or whether it be spiritual and eternal life, all life comes from God. He is the God of life. He's the giver of life. He's the one who preserves life. He's the one who takes life away. Jesus Christ says about himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thus, Daniel's life was not in the power of Darius. Daniel's life was not in the power of the conspirators. Daniel's life was not even in the power of the lions. To take away his life. His life was in the almighty power of the living God, the God of life. God, the God of life, the living God, could give life, could preserve life, or could take life away. As it related to Daniel. That's not only true of Daniel, that's true with, the, with regard to each of us. It is so important that we understand that he is the living God. It's not just a name. It's who he is. From eternity to eternity, the God of life. The gods of false religion From ancient times, the time of the Medes and the Persians, in which Daniel was then living, the gods of false religion today, whether it be cults, whether it be other religions, whether it be New Age, paganism, whatever it may be today, the gods of false religion are impotent. They are lifeless before the living God. As we read in our Old Testament scripture reading from 1 Samuel 5, Dagon fell before the living God. He fell before the living God. The prophet Isaiah records the words of Jehovah God saying, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. None else. He's the living God. And dear ones, this living God was the object of Daniel's faith. God created everything and gave everything life, and therefore God is able to save by his almighty power, even Daniel, who is cast into a den of hungry lions, he's able to do so. Is God able? Yes. Because he is the living God. Not the dead God. Not the God who came into being at some point. But the living God, the everlasting God. And dear ones, that's the beginning point of faith in God. He is the living God. That's where our faith begins. He is the living God. He is able to do all of his holy will because he is the one who alone is life and gives life. If he's the one who gives life, he's the one who is able to control all life. Is that the God in whom you trust for your physical needs, every day? And is that, more importantly, the God in whom you trust for your eternal salvation? Paul says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.12, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, notice, that he is able, that he is able to keep that which I have committed, namely my eternal salvation, unto him against that day. He's able. He's the living God. And dear ones, if he's able to keep my eternal salvation, that which is most important, certainly he's able then to provide for me every single day, whatever it is, that I need, he's able to provide. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. He's able to give you the grace, to give you the strength, to give all that you need in this life. To live a life that is pleasing to him. And I dare say again, there is no hope. There is no hope if God is not able. If he's not the living God, there is no hope. If God is powerless, if God is not the living God, then we might as well just surrender and give up. We are entirely on our own in this wicked and corrupt world. There's no hope. There's no future. It's eat, drink, and be merry today. Tomorrow we die. That's all there is if God is not the God of the living. Dear ones, when we are overwhelmed, when we are buried beneath those dark... Fears and that sense of hopelessness. Is it not because, again, we are walking by sight, walking by our feelings, rather than walking by faith in the God who is able, walking by faith in the living God who made us, the living God who redeemed us, the living God who preserved us, and has preserved us. The living God who is sanctifying us, the living God who shall glorify us. Faith begins there. Begins right there. God is able to do all his holy will. Faith does not begin with the when questions. Doesn't begin with the how questions when and how he will accomplish his holy will in our lives or in the lives of others, God knows what is best. He's infinitely wise and it's only our stupidity and our foolishness that questions our weaknesses, that question God's wisdom and what he, the Almighty God, brings into our lives. It's because we can't see the end from the beginning that we question God. It's due to our lack of faith, or trust in Him as being the God who is able, as being the living God. Our job as Christians, dear ones, is not to tell God when or how He must work. Our job is but to rest in His sovereign power To do all his most holy and his most wise will. And dear ones, I say to you, that's our only place of peace and rest, to find it there. Otherwise, we find ourselves in upheaval, confusion, perplexity every day if we do not find it there. We'll go through the next two main points rather. Quickly, but uh, the second main point—the deliverance of the righteous out of trouble—in verses 21 through 23. Then said Daniel, "Under the king, O king, live forever! My God hath sent His angel and hath shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me, for as much as before Him innocency was found in me, and also before Thee, O king, have I done no hurt." Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. So Daniel greets the king and assures the king that he is indeed alive. And he gives the reasons. He gives the reason why he is alive. And he begins uh, by saying, Greeting the king, O king, live forever, in verse 21, which simply means, Long live the king. Not long live the king uh, to reign in, in rebellion against God, but long live the king uh, to reign uh, in serving God. That was certainly the prayer of Daniel, not to simply reign, but to reign in serving God. And then Daniel uh, says, my God in verse 22 hath sent his angel. My God. Uh, not Darius's God, but my God. And so we have to ask uh, is that rather presumptuous on Daniel's part to say, my God? My own personal God? Or is that faith? Is that believing what God has said? That when we trust in him, he becomes my God. He becomes my personal Savior. My King. My Lord. Not that he's not King and Lord over all of creation, but he becomes mine in a very special sense by way of faith. He becomes my personal God to save me, to forgive me, to declare me righteous before him, to adopt me into his family. He becomes my God to sanctify me, to grow me in my faith and trust in Jesus Christ throughout my life. He becomes my God to provide for all the needs that I have in this life and he becomes my God. That when I die, I go to be with my God. Forever and ever to be with my God. God could not give, dear ones, more to us if he gave the whole world, the whole universe to us than to give to us himself so that he becomes my God. That's a result of a most blessed union an unbreakable union by faith when we come to the Lord that I am joined and united to Jesus Christ and he is joined and united to me now and for all eternity. And as I am his, so is he as well mine. God's angel was sent to subdue the hungry and powerful lions throughout the whole night. He not only closed their mouths uh, because they still could have done a lot of damage, even if their mouths were closed by by uh, their claws and everything else that they could have done to Daniel. He subdued their whole nature, made them like little pussy cats. That's allowed. What uh, again? That uh, that we see here. Uh, they were harmless. They're in the lion's then, Because God is able to restrain the nature of his creation. Even lions to change their nature. How much more he's able to restrain the nature of the lions that would seek to swallow us up in this world. The lions that hate us and despise us as Christians. He's able to restrain them as he restrained that lion. He's able to take the nature of a lion and to give to us the nature of a lamb so that we want to follow him as our shepherd. That's the God we serve. That's the God who is able to change that which seems ferocious, that which seems against us, destructive, dangerous, Fearful, he's able to restrain, and he does every single day. Do you not realize, dear ones, what God restrains the wicked from doing every day in order to destroy all of God's people? Because that's what they want to do. Why don't they do so? Because God restrains the lion. Just as the Lord sent an angel to preserve Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, so he sends his angel here in the lion's den. Perhaps again in both occasions this was the angel Jehovah. This perhaps was the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Nebuchadnezzar says, I I see a fourth person there. He's likened to the Son of God. So... Perhaps in this situation, likewise, God sent the angel Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be with Daniel there in the lion's den throughout the night. He visited, he visited in both occasions his people who trusted in him. He communed with them uh, there uh, in those, in that fiery furnace and in that lion's den. They were not alone. They were not by themselves And that's what we must realize. That's what's so fearful so often is we feel alone in what we're going through. But God would have us to know we are never alone. He is with us. He sends his angels even to protect and that we may not see them. We have again his word that he does so in Hebrews 1 verse 14. Are they not, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? Yes, they are sent forth. Interestingly, Darius was up all night tossing and turning with a smitten conscience while safe in his palace. Daniel was at perfect peace in a lion's den all night while communing with the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the promise that's found in Isaiah 26, verses 3 through 4. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Trust ye in him. That's what faith in the living God does in all the lion's dens that we face. Those lion's dens become a place of worship for God's people. Here, Daniel reproves the king and the conspirators when he says God preserved him. Notice, preserved him because he was innocent. He's making that point to the king. I was innocent. And yet, the conspirators, yes, but even you, king, you were not going to jeopardize your throne to save an innocent man. And so it's even a reproof to the king in that particular situation as well. And then Daniel is taken as one who was doomed to die in the lion's den from out of that lion's den, in verse 23. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. I think I pointed out uh, uh, at... uh, the previous sermon that there are there's a connection here with regard to daniel and the resurrection of the lord jesus christ uh, that we need to see again that this was a kind of resurrection on the part of daniel that points to a greater resurrection the resurrection of the lord jesus christ let me point out some of the uh, parallels for you very quickly Daniel was willingly cast into the lion's den as one doomed to die. A stone was placed over the mouth of the uh, den and a seal was attached to it just as the crucified Jesus willingly was cast into the tomb. And a great stone was rolled uh, to the entrance of that tomb and it was sealed as well. Darius, we read here uh, in this portion, came very early in the morning, as did the women in Mark 16 too, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week. The angel of the Lord was present with Daniel just as God's angel appeared at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The stone was removed, implied, however, implied in Daniel's case in order to lift him out The stone was removed and Daniel was brought forth alive just as the Lord Jesus Christ. The stone was removed and the Lord Jesus Christ was shown to be alive. Daniel appeared before witnesses to confirm that he was alive and well for the encouragement for all who trust in the living God. And so likewise, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared unto his disciples, even 500 witnesses at one time, to confirm that he was alive and well for the confirmation that he is the living God who has the power over life and death and whose sacrifice, he confirmed by his resurrection, whose sacrifice on the cross was accounted by his Father as full payment for all the sins of his beloved children. If he had stayed in that grave, if he had not been raised, our sins would not have been forgiven. We know that they are forgiven because he was raised from the dead. And so, dear ones, even though we look at this deliverance of Daniel, let us Lord, let us look to what the Lord would teach us about the greater deliverance of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. That's, what this deliverance points us to. And it ultimately, in pointing to the deliverance of the Lord Jesus Christ, points to our deliverance. Our complete deliverance from sin. The guilt, the power, and the punishment of sin in Jesus Christ. The last main point, the consequences that follow God's deliverance of the righteous in verses 24-28. through And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, wherever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who had delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So, this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This graphic portrayal of uh, the demise, the destruction of these conspirators, their children and their wives, is very graphic. Uh, very graphic portrayal uh, that is mentioned here. And, and I would suggest that it's graphic for two reasons. First of all, <clears throat> the first reason is because the wicked who conspire against God and against God's people shall not escape God's judgment. Proverbs 11:8: "The righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked come in his stead." Here we see, that which they planned for Daniel came upon them, theirsel- themselves. If this depiction of the judgment that fell on the wicked in this case is graphic, how much more graphic, dear ones, is the torment of everlasting hell that will fall upon the wicked on that final day. And I would simply note here, it says that the king commanded that their children and their wives be cast as well into the lion's den, and they were destroyed as well. Uh, Note this, that in God's law, uh, God does not approve of wives and children suffering for the sins of husbands and fathers, unless, of course, they were party to the conspiracy. In Deuteronomy 24, 16, we read, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. And so if this was something that happened it wasn't something daniel commanded this was something that the king commanded and uh, shows at times uh, that the uh, so-called justice of the wicked is more cruel uh, than the justice of the living god Um, god's justice is right is fair uh, not cruel Uh, but uh, the justice of the wicked uh, indeed uh, is cruel and second reason for this graphic portrayal the graphic language that's used here shows that lions were man these lions were man eating lions Uh, uh, these were not again tamed lions that, uh, that were in the lion's den when Daniel was cast into it that these were man eating lions that these were powerful lions as soon as These conspirators and their families were cast in. They were devoured, they were crushed before they even hit the floor. And yet those same lions were tame uh, by the power of God. And so it's just, uh, again, to show what a miracle God performed in restraining the nature of the lions for the good of his people, for the good of Daniel. And what he does every single day in restraining the wicked and the hearts of the wicked against us, his people. A similar decree as is made here by Darius was made by Nebuchadnezzar back in Daniel 3.29. You recall Daniel 3.29 where Nebuchadnezzar, it says, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of, I'm sorry, that was 19, verse 29. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language Which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. After this sort. So here again, we see a heathen king extolling the greatness, the might of God, and I have no, even though the words. Um, certainly ring true from a biblical theology and what we know of our God uh, whether those words were um, uh, words that Daniel gave uh, to, uh, to uh, Darius we don't see any evidence of Darius having repented of his idolatry uh, we have no evidence that, that he told his people to put away their false gods. It was only a way of acknowledging that the one true living God was a mighty God and was an exalted God who could do such things. He apparently continued to be a polytheist, worshiping many gods. But it's interesting that God here is extolled by even the heathens who are forced to acknowledge his greatness and his power. And so, in a a sense, it's even more of a testimony when an unbeliever has to say the things that we see there than one who already trusts and believes in the living God. This is not apparently a willing profession of saving faith, but the words, as it were, of a defeated foe. This is why, dear ones, there is always hope. Why, there is always hope, even in the darkest of nights that we face, in whatever lion's dens that we may find ourselves in, the living God, the living God is our God. Every day, remind yourself of that question. And the answer to the question, is God able? Is that the God that I serve, the God that is able. Because if you're serving any other God, he's not able. Only the God of the Bible is able. He is the living God. He's the God that subdues lions. He's the God that subdues kings. He's the God who subdues fiery furnaces. He's the God who subdues all his enemies. He's the Almighty. He's the sovereign God who is King. He alone is the living God. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. We come to the the living God. We come to thee, our living God in whom we trust in whom we have placed our faith and our confidence and our hope Thank thee, our God that thou hast revealed thyself again unto us that thou art able thou art able to deliver thou art able to keep thou art able to save Thou art able to heal. Let us not be caught up, Lord, with the when questions and the how questions, but with the question, is our God able? And let our faith dwell upon thee, the God who is able, the God who is most wise, the God who is a God of love and care, righteousness, Uh, We thank Thee for revealing Thyself to us, even from Thy Word today. Lord, let us treasure it. Let us not forget it. Let us daily remind ourselves, is our God able? We ask our Lord these things through Christ our Savior. Amen.